Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the VR1 NFT Podcast. I'm your host, VR1. This is where we live and this is what we do. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Um, we just finished up the first segment, which is the last podcast. And we're going to pick up right where we left off. Um, basically, I think in our last episode, I kind of summarized my approach, my way of thinking, um, how I really feel about this tour and, 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 you know, the industry as a whole. I just feel that I operate, you know, outside of the industry. I'm more in the music business. And, um, you know, I like to maintain that status, you know, independent artists, you know, I just do what I do with, with my talent and my gift and my hustle and my business savvy. So we're going to go visit our guest of honor, which is Gary V. Um, I was unable to take the class with you guys, but, um, we're gonna, we're gonna start with the news. So because guys give me one quick second um we're gonna go over the nightly news and then i'm gonna check so we're gonna introduce mr lester holt on behalf of nbc and nightly news then we're gonna go to top story with tom llamas i want to see what that show is about and then we'll do our uh marketing strategies with gary v so bear with me Let me cue this up and make sure that we are ready. Let's go. See, I'm hitting the right. Okay. Potentially historic nor'easter takes aim at the east coast. The powerful storm putting 68 million on alert from. That way, I can study with you guys here. The first blizzard warnings in four years in parts of the east. Amtrak canceling service up to two feet of snow, potential hurricane force wind gusts. We're tracking it all. Also tonight, the bridge collapse in Pittsburgh. Six vehicles plunging down, a city bus hanging over a ravine. Hmm. Crews rappelling down 150 feet to rescue passengers, others forming a human chain. Ten people injured, President Biden touring the scene today. The collapse coming just hours before his visit to tout his infrastructure plan. Just in, President Biden saying he will deploy U.S. troops to Eastern Europe in the near term to counter the Russian threat to Ukraine. It comes as the top U.S. general warns an invasion would be, quote, horrific. Thousands giving a final salute to a fallen NYPD officer, his wife's heartbreaking eulogy. Our team inside Afghanistan, the deepening hunger crisis five months after the chaotic U.S. withdrawal. The major U.S. city rolling back mass restrictions, but only for some. Dr. Fauci weighing in. And meet the newest four-legged member of the White House family. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Hmm. Good evening. After some uncertainty, the forecasts are aligning tonight for a major snowstorm affecting some 68 million people living along the East Coast tonight through tomorrow. As we come on the air, that storm developing along the Carolina coast where it will make its run north all the way to Maine, bringing bitter cold, strong winds, and significant snow, including blizzard warnings. Big cities, including D.C., Philadelphia, and New York in its path, 
along with Boston, bracing for what could be one of its biggest January snowstorms ever. Snow totals of two feet possible in the worst places along the coast. Power outages and coastal flooding also forecasted. And the travel impact being felt across the country as airlines begin canceling flights ahead of the storm. NBC's Emily Ikeda has the latest. Tonight, more than 60 million people are bracing for a dangerous winter storm barreling up the East Coast from South Carolina to Maine. This has the potential to be a historic storm, a huge one. Last minute shoppers are stocking up for what is looking to be a potentially catastrophic event. I know three hours this place could be completely, uh, completely empty, like nothing left, so I'm stocking up, you know, I'm not planning to go out. This stretch under blizzard warnings for the first time in four years. Governors pleading with residents to stay inside. Be prepared to hunker down once you get home this afternoon and stay home. Several have declared states of emergency ahead of the expected hurricane force winds, whiteout conditions, and flooding in coastal towns. Hurricane force winds, that's crazy. A community that could get slammed with two feet of snow. Kathy Park is there. The ocean surge is expected to reach up to three feet, so flooding is a big concern in low-lying areas. This harbor will likely be underwater, so officials are asking residents to consider leaving tonight before the storm hits. Amtrak already canceling many trains between D.C. and Boston, and thousands of flights grounded. Until today, competing forecast models suggested anywhere from a dusting to a crippling snowstorm dumping double digits. A massive margin fueling frustration for many in the storm's path. Two inches, ten inches, no, no, it was going to happen, so tomorrow we're going to find out, I guess. Emily, we're already seeing crews trying to get ahead of this thing. That's right, Lester. Just here in New York City, salt trucks already out prepping the roadway. 700 of them pulling from salt barns like this one. Overnight, we'll see a switch to snow clouds, which total nearly 2,000. Got some munchies, y'all. What does the track look like right now? Well, it's close enough to the coast now, Lester, that we are going to see the potential for blizzard conditions. Blizzard warnings in effect from Virginia up to Maine. The first time that's happened since 2018. We have had a little bit of snow with a cold front that's just enough to give us the cold air. So once this storm ramps up, we will see intense snowfall. Rates of about two to four inches per hour. The mid-Atlantic mm. gets hit after midnight tonight through tomorrow morning. New England gets hit throughout the entire day on Saturday. Eight to, Eight to 12 inches in New York. 12 to 18 inches across eastern Long Island. Boston could get closer to two feet. two feet. Some areas in southeastern Massachusetts picking up even more, and Lester winds could gust up to 60 miles per hour. So power out of 60 like miles per hour. I know you'll be updating in the morning. Thank you. Now to that bridge collapse in Pittsburgh, which injured 10 people, but could have been so much worse, and coming just hours before a scheduled visit by the president. Here's Peter Alexander. It happened just before rush hour. This aging bridge in Pittsburgh collapsing into a flattened mess of concrete and metal, taking this with it six vehicles, including a transit bus. It was a loud <laughs> sound. Rescue crews repelled more than 100 feet down the hillside to help the injured. Amazingly, no one was killed. We got three wow. hurt. They've been looked at, and I think 10 have been seen, and they're, they're okay. The site offering a stunning backdrop for President Biden's pre-planned trip to the city to promote the trillion-dollar bipartisan infrastructure law. The president detouring to survey the scene. And you can see the gas was running. Uh, you see it coming out that, the, on the other side of the concrete there. Still, today's collapse was not without warning. This tweet shows a stabilizing beam rusted through. 
The 52-year-old bridge has been listed in poor condition for more than a decade. Hmm. One of 45,000 structurally deficient bridges nationwide. 45,000. in Pennsylvania alone. Wow. Making the state number two in the country for the most crumbling bridges, trailing only Iowa. With $1.6 million <laughs> headed to the state for bridge repairs <laughs> That's over the next five up. years. You're going to fix them all. Not a joke. This is going to be a gigantic change. President Biden says the current situation is unacceptable. You got to move. <laughs> next time, we don't need headlines saying that someone was killed when the next bridge collapsed. Tonight, the NTSB has launched a GO team to investigate the Pittsburgh collapse. State officials say if it happened any later, the outcome there would have been much worse. Wow. Lester. All right, Peter Alexander in the White I House. wonder Thank how you. much is Just the budget this evening, President to build Biden one bridge. He's going to shift some U.S. troops in Eastern Europe, though not sending any to Ukraine, as the Russian buildup on the border intensifies. Meanwhile, America's top general warning a potential Russian invasion could be horrific. Hmm. Richard Engel is in Ukraine tonight. If it is a bluff, Russia keeps going all in with more troops heading to Ukraine's border. And late tonight, President Biden saying he's going to ship U.S. troops in response. Uh-oh, commercial. Nice little commercial break. Come on. Yes, indeed. Well, we need to wait because if not YouTube gets free advertising for me. I can't let them do that. If it is a bluff, Russia keeps going all in with more troops heading to Ukraine's border. And late tonight, President Biden saying he's going to shift U.S. troops in response. I'm removing U.S. Meanwhile, the Pentagon sounding what has become a daily alarm about Russian forces. There's a potential that they could launch uh, on very, very little uh, warning. That's possible. A potential attack that could result in significant civilian casualties. It would be horrific. It would be terrible. But Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, accused the U.S. and NATO of creating panic that's harming Ukraine's economy. They just say that tomorrow there will be war, he says. This is panic. How much does it cost our state? The mixed signals are leaving Ukrainians unsure of how seriously to take the Russian threat. It seems there will be no military invasion, says Marina. I believe this. I want to believe this. But Alexander Vizirov, an army veteran, says it's not an option to relax and stay calm. Here in eastern Ukraine, life appears normal. Shops and restaurants are open. There's traffic in the streets. But people are starting to get nervous. Hmm. Lester. Richard Engel, thank you. Words and tears honoring a fallen police officer here in New York today. Well, thank you. Words and tears honoring a fallen police officer here in New York today. Thousands turning out for the funeral of one of two officers shot and killed while answering a 911 call last week. Here's Rahima Ellis. A sea of blue with officers from around the city and across the country outside St. Patrick's Cathedral for a final goodbye to Jason Rivera. Inside, mourners remembering the rookie New York City police officer on the job only 14 months. He did it for the right reasons. 
He wanted to make a difference. Both Rivera and his partner, Wilbert Moore, shot and killed a week ago, responding to a routine domestic disturbance call inside a Harlem apartment. Proof no call is routine. At just 22 years old, Rivera was so young with so much promise. I'm the loneliest without you. Recently married to his childhood sweetheart, today she's heartbroken for the life they won't live together. I couldn't believe you left me. Her words echoing outside to a city in mourning. The little bit of hope I had, that you will come back to life just to say goodbye. I love you one more time and left. I was lost. I'm still lost. And she's angry with the new Manhattan district attorney among the mourners whose memo called for the relaxed prosecution of some gun possession cases. He since clarified his stance. I hope he's watching you speak through me right now. <laughs> I'm sure all of our blue family is tired too. But I promise, we promise that your death won't be in vain. Rivera was one of five officers shot in New York City this month alone, and part of an alarming increase in gun violence nationwide, from Milwaukee to St. Louis to Houston. So far this year, 26 officers have been shot, four killed. A procession this morning for a Texas deputy sheriff killed on Sunday. Yesterday, three Houston police officers were shot. Today, Officer Rivera was promoted to detective first grade. I love you to the end of time. We'll take the watch from here. In a grieving city, a widow's vow never to forget. Rahima Ellis, NBC News, New York. Very sad story. The semi-automatic rifle used by Kyle Rittenhouse to shoot three men during a street protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin, will not be returned to him, but will be destroyed by the state crime lab. A judge approving that plan today. Two of the men Rittenhouse shot were killed, and the third was wounded during the protest over the police shooting of a black man. Rittenhouse was acquitted of all charges, including homicide. In just 60 seconds, the major American city about to relax its tough COVID restrictions. Is it a sign of the new normal? And we're on the ground in Afghanistan as that country now confronts a humanitarian disaster. Back now with a major U.S. city rolling back indoor mask mandates, but only for those fully vaccinated and boosted. Miguel Almaguer spoke with Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is weighing in tonight. The first city in the nation to enter a lockdown is tonight looking to change the face of the pandemic. Starting next week in San Francisco, masks can come off inside offices, gyms, college classrooms, and certain indoor venues for those who can prove they're not just fully vaccinated, but also boosted. A new policy that comes with risk. If you are boosted and back vaccinated and boosted, there still is a chance that you can get infected because there are many breakthrough infections that we're seeing. With the city vaccination and boosting rate both significantly higher than the national average, masks in San Francisco will still be required in retail stores and public schools where large crowds mix. I think this is a good strategy to basically lift mask mandates in places where you have high vaccinations and low infection numbers. And I think that's a, a, a strategy that a lot of cities and states are likely to adopt. But the timeline on when that will happen is still unclear.
How far away are we from going to the movies, going to school, going to the office without a mask? Miguel, I don't know how far that is away. I hope it's months away. Is the worst of the pandemic behind us? I hope so. You know, I, I, we don't want to be overconfident, Miguel. We, we've really got to be realistic. The best case scenario is what you're painting, namely that the worst is behind us. Tonight, signs of a brighter future after a devastating past. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. I don't agree with that. Crisis in Afghanistan. Five months after the chaotic U.S. withdrawal, a humanitarian disaster is unfolding. Plus, uh. dozens of Americans and thousands of Afghans who helped the U.S. military are still trapped there. Kelly Kobiea takes us inside. Tonight, Afghanistan is in crisis. Aid agencies like UNICEF, the only source of food for millions. Taxi driver Edris Mohammadi told me he can't feed his family because he can't find work. And he blames the U.S. This bad situation only factor is USA. It's been five months since the chaotic and deadly U.S. withdrawal. It feels so strange to be back. The airport almost looks normal. But on the streets... People are desperate, some selling their kidneys for cash. The situation is very bad. We are in a fast unraveling humanitarian crisis and the level of suffering is quite unparalleled. The new Taliban government has no money. Nine billion dollars in Afghan assets are frozen, most by the U.S. because the Taliban is a designated terrorist group. The Taliban oh. leadership is trying to show the world that it's oh. changed, announcing women and girls will be allowed back into oh. classrooms. Yet many women are living in fear. This was posted last year. Women's rights activist Tamana Paryani screaming for help, saying the Taliban had come to arrest her. She and her sisters haven't been seen since. Taliban leadership said the video was fake. What is this? At this beauty salon, this worker says the Taliban posted a sign telling women to wear burqas. Do you feel safe? Absolutely not, she says. Every minute we are scared. The UN special envoy saying there's compelling evidence of intimidation and a deterioration in respect for human rights. Meanwhile, Americans are still stranded here, along with thousands of America's Afghan allies. One former army translator, now in hiding, told us he applied for a visa in August and is still waiting. Three and a half months you've been waiting and have heard nothing. Nothing. Many have turned to nonprofit veterans groups like Project Dynamo, which says they've evacuated more than 2,000 people. How many are left? I have no idea. But I can tell you that people call us every single day and say, help me, help me, help me. Left behind in a country now falling apart. The U.S. has already donated more than $700 million in humanitarian aid to Afghanistan, but aid agencies say they now need billions. Lester? Hmm. Kelly Kobie in Kabul, thank you. And next, as free speech comes under threat in Hong Kong, we speak with a leading activist who challenged the Chinese government and now fears for his life. And here we go, a commercial from the friendly folks at YouTube trying to market for free on my platform. Not going to happen. Oh, man. But again, this is all part of the learning curve. I cannot wait to have we me equipped. One week from the start of the Beijing Olympics, which is facing a diplomatic boycott over human rights abuses, including in Hong Kong, where many freedoms have been stripped away. Keir Simmons spoke with a young protest leader who had to go on the run. 
After years leading democracy protests, 28-year-old Nathan Law fled Hong Kong in 2020. He does not think he has escaped China. Do you feel safe here, outside China? It's impossible for me to say that I'm completely safe. You think you could be targeted um, outside China by the Chinese government? We all know how far-reaching China's arm could be. He publicly cut ties with his family back home in Hong Kong to protect them. Now living in London, he keeps his routines and whereabouts secret and wow. is careful with who he befriends. Three years ago, he led protests over a new law allowing Hong Kong people to be extradited to the Chinese mainland for trial. Included in their demands, democratic reforms and a probe into police misconduct. But in 2020, China adopted a sweeping national security law. China said it's to stop those who are security risks. A warrant is out for Nathan Law's arrest. When Beijing um, suppressed us, deprived us from our freedom, and refused to give us democracy, we feel a strong sense of betrayal. China's government had promised to allow Hong Kong to keep its Western-style freedoms. President Biden, among those who have criticized China's communist authority. The situation in Hong Kong is deteriorating, and the Chinese uh, government uh, is not keeping its commitment. Law says Beijing's failure to keep its promise is a warning to the world. The Chinese say repeatedly the U.S. should not be getting involved in China's internal affairs. These statements are all usual tactics um, of the Chinese government to evade their responsibility to its people. We're asking the Chinese government to respect the basic human rights of Hong Kong people. Next week, the US, along with the UK, Australia and Canada, will diplomatically boycott the Beijing Olympics, not sending government officials to the Games. Do you have hope? The political situation in Hong Kong is dire, but for me, as an activist, we are not entitled to lose hope. Hope is what drives us to continue our rights. Tonight, athletes from around the world are headed for the Beijing Games. Nathan Law faces a Chinese arrest warrant accused of advocating secession. He says he can't go back. Lester? Kier Simmons, thank you. Up next, Willow takes her place at the White House. <laughs> the little cat is cute. Finally, she's the newest resident enjoying all the After the worst news, the White House. then Kelly they put Obama that part. Introduces us to Willow. A new tale tonight in the lore of White House pets. A first feline, Willow Biden, officially on the prowl in the famed corridors with a view across history. A two-year-old short-haired tabby named for the First Lady's hometown of Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. This green-eyed beauty may use her stealth powers on this cuddly dude, five-month-old commander. Hey, pal. How you doing? A generation ago, hmm. the Clintons' domestic politics sometimes meant Socks the Cat and Buddy the Chocolate Lab competed for attention. The Kennedys' menagerie of pets included a pony named Macaroni. Scotty's, Barney, and Ms. Beasley were loved by George and Laura Bush. Look, Barney, there's your new little sister. The Obamas made the introduction of Bo a romping family photo op. That's a good looking dog, though. Let's face yeah. it. These perfect companions. Uh -huh. We know the cat will break the internet. 
maybe for a moment, putting our divided times on pause. Kelly O'Donnell, NBC News, the White House. That is nightly news for this Friday. Thank you for watching, everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself. All right. Now let's see what this top story is. So we're going to move on. We'll do our, our digital marketing um, basic because, you know, I'm going to see what we're talking about here. Tonight, the states of emergency along the East Coast as that monster winter storm moves in. Snow already falling on parts of the Northeast. Blizzard warnings in effect in some states for the first time in four years. Thousands of flights already canceled and some Amtrak service suspended. Residents urged to evacuate in parts of coastal Massachusetts over flooding concerns. Cities from Virginia to Maine bracing for as much as two feet of snow. We're tracking it all. Also tonight, the bridge collapsed in Pittsburgh just hours. Yeah, that's crazy, yo. ...to visit the city to talk about infrastructure. Crews forming a human chain to help rescue people from a dangling bus. The president visiting the scene, promising change to the country's roads and bridges. Mixed signals, the Pentagon's top leaders today, saying Russia's position to invade all of Ukraine, adding it's something they have not seen since, quote, the Cold War days. But Ukraine's president now accusing the U.S. and NATO of creating panic. Our report from the Pentagon and Richard Engel in Ukraine. Final salute, thousands of NYPD officers lining Manhattan's Fifth Avenue for the funeral of an officer killed in a shooting a week ago. His widow's powerful eulogy calling out city leaders for a spike in crime. And in Houston, a procession for a deputy killed there after officers in several other cities came under fire this week. Weapons looted, thieves ransacking trains in Los Angeles, now stealing gun shipments. The concern tonight, those firearms will end up in the hands of violent criminals. And dangerous drive through the moment an SUV plowed through a Florida restaurant. What police say happened. Top story starts right now. Hey, good evening. On a busy Friday night, we begin top story with that major winter storm hitting the East Coast. New video shows heavy snow already falling in the Northeast several states under emergency declarations at this hour. According to FlightAware, nearly 3,000 flights have already been canceled for Saturday alone. East Coast hubs the most affected, Amtrak announcing major cuts to service throughout the weekend. Snow plows, storm looks serious. deployed across the region. Very serious. To stay off the roads with powerful winds expected to fuel those whiteout conditions. The concern tonight is for coastal flooding. Residents in parts of Massachusetts urged to seek higher ground and winter alerts stretching from <laughs> South Carolina. It's like the Jedi When you see the maps right there, some states are seeing blizzard warnings for the first time in years. New York City could see some of the heaviest snow yet. Emily Akena is there and leads us off tonight. Tonight, more than 60 million people are bracing for a dangerous winter storm barreling up the East Coast from South Carolina to Maine. This has the potential to be a historic storm, a huge one. Last-minute shoppers are stocking up for what is looking to be a potentially catastrophic event. I know three hours is placed in completely... You know what I realized? Like, NBC used the same clips in four different programs. And I'm going to see if... This is, what's her name? Haley Jackson. Let's see. Hmm. 
We begin tonight with tens of millions of people bracing for a dangerous nor'easter. For the first time in four years, blizzard warnings are in effect for the East Coast. We're live. The word's going to hit, and everything you need to know to stay safe. Then at the Pentagon, the country's top military brass delivering a stark warning. Russia's troop buildup is bigger than anything they've seen in decades, and they're not ruling out the possibility of sending in U.S. troops. We're live in Russia. And look at these stunning images from Pittsburgh. A bridge collapses on the same day President Biden was heading to the area to talk infrastructure. His promise to get all of the nation's crumbling roads and bridges fixed. Plus, the government agency everyone loves to hate is rolling out a facial recognition system for its website, and privacy red flags are going up. Then, in tonight's original, an exclusive look at Chicago's plan to upgrade to smart LED streetlights. The price tag, $160 million. Why the city says it's worth it. And finally, after 40 years, NBC's Kevin Tibbles is signing off inside his incredible career in tonight's backstory. Hello, I'm Dave Gutierrez in for Hallie Jackson tonight. An intense winter storm is bearing down on the Northeast. Tens of millions of people across 10 states are bracing for a storm so extreme it could bring more than two feet of snow in some places, making travel impossible and becoming life-threatening with the potential for power outages as temperatures drop to dangerous lows. Cities from Philly to Boston are deploying snow emergencies and getting ready by salting roads, bagging sand, and even boarding up as they brace not just for snow, but get this hurricane force winds that could cause whiteout conditions. Warnings are now in effect from Virginia to Maine, the first time the East Coast has had them in four years. Dylan Dreyer is tracking the storm for us. Let's begin with Kathy Park, who's along the coast mm -mm. of Massachusetts. Kathy, Same content. Is really <laughs> worst case scenario here with this even that, you see, I get to study with you guys. But, um, that's kind of to you know what I was referring to. So it's pretty much the same concept for them. But this teaches us in our business pursuits, you know, everything is content. So without further interruption, I got my honey almonds on deck. I have my chips. I got some iced tea. Let's go to class. What I would call contemporary marketing. I see it as the thing that everybody in this room should spend the majority of their time on. I think we need to start having an advanced, dramatically different conversation on what team building and leadership actually is. Marketing is incredibly confused with sales. We call VaynerMedia the honey empire, but the word empire is not a soft word. They're trying to build the biggest company of all time. Three to four LinkedIn ads a day, all different. Videos, pictures, or words, all run as ads. This, unfortunately, this has been the thing that I've been most emailed about as a substantial game changer for B2B companies. To me, marketing is a conversation of ambition. With all due respect, I just want you to know one thing. We are the best marketing company in the world, which means the only thing that's about to happen is we're gonna speed up the world knowing that your product's a piece of crap. You cannot hire your 23-year-old niece to do it. Meaning, actually starting a podcast or YouTube show around the expertise of the business that you're in. The idea of becoming the publisher, not the marketer, right? Most people are in sales. Let me pause that right there. Tune right back in. We're going to do an extra segment, okay? So let's pick up right where we left off. We are sales oriented. Let me bring that's this right back. Now. 
what I would call contemporary marketing. <coughs> I would have run out of time if I wouldn't have done a segment. Spend the majority of their time on. I think we need to start having an advanced, dramatically different conversation. I think we need to start having an advanced, dramatically different conversation on what team building and leadership actually is. Marketing is incredibly confused with sales. We call VaynerMedia the honey empire, but the word empire is not a soft word. We're trying to build the biggest company of all time. For me to pour LinkedIn ads a day, all different, videos, pictures, or words, all run as ads. Disproportionately, this has been the thing that I've been most emailed about as a substantial game changer for B2B companies. To me, marketing is a conversation of ambition. With all due respect, I just want you to know one thing. We are the best marketing company in the world, which means the only thing that's about to happen is we're going to speed up the world knowing that your product's a piece of crap. You cannot hire your 23-year-old niece to do it, meaning actually starting a podcast or YouTube show around the expertise of the business that you're in. The idea of becoming the publisher, not the marketer, right? Most people are in sales. We are sales organization. That's great. I love sales. But marketing is the second framework, much longer than sales in the medium and long term. The third thing that I'm talking to you about right now is the concept of becoming the media company, what I've done with my career. This last tactic, because I've thrown this out in my content, different interviews and such, has been a major win for some small B2B, mid-sized B2B companies. And I would highly, highly recommend the people in this room that have a little gift of gab, feel like they can do this. Please push yourself. It really works. Remember when you promised you would never get a Facebook account in 2012? Humans say no. Many of you, when you heard about Bitcoin, no. The blockchain is here. Every contract in the world in 15 years is going to be on the blockchain. It's how you're going to do business. So what, are you going to do the same thing you did with the internet, which is fight it until you succumb to it and left all that opportunity on the table? You don't like money? You don't want your family to be more stable? You don't want your business to grow? You may not want to dance on TikTok, but I'm not asking you to do it. The internet is where the real world is. We spend, everyone's like the metaverse and the VR and all this crazy stuff. We're living there now. Do you know how many hours are spent looking at this? And that's the point of this talk today, which is a lot's happening. It's nice to be back on stage. Um, there's two core things that I'm spending a ton of time on right now, and they're pretty opposite. Um, one is incredibly in the weeds and very tactical and very in the dirt, which is what I would call contemporary marketing. Um, whether you're in this room as B2B or B2C, including things that wouldn't make maybe sense to a lot of people within the industry of what they should be doing on LinkedIn or TikTok or things of that nature, they fascinate me mainly because I'm a businessman, right? Uh, you know, I am, since I was 14 years old, I've been involved in a family business, in business my whole life. So everything comes from the standpoint of oxygen to pay the bills. You know, I was born in the Soviet Union, grew up in a very immigrant family. Um, my dad had a liquor store. And from May 18th, to that May 18th, 1998, until this second that I'm standing, I've had the responsibility to make the payroll every two weeks of every day of my life. So my framework when it comes to marketing is actually extremely grounded in the practicality of actually building a business. And as I'm getting the gray hairs and getting a little more mature, I'm realizing how many people don't see marketing the way I see it. I see it as oxygen. 
I see it as the thing that everybody in this room should spend the majority of their time on. I like and that most concept. People, when I give this talk or have a meeting or have navigated the last 25 years, are trying to find time to get to marketing. I'd rather be great at contemporary marketing than know how to balance my PL. That's how my brain thinks about it. And so, as I'm going to go into this right now, there's only one thing that I know that can double a person's business without them making a significant change in their product or service or having some fortune like their local competitor decided to retire. Like there's only one thing and that is marketing. And marketing is incredibly confused with sales. And I see it every day and I think people have incredible comfort with sales because they know what the ROI is in the very immediate. The conversations and the keynotes and the books that I wrote you know, seven, 10 years ago about, hey, print and radio and television, the things that I use to build my wine business, they're declining in value. You've got to look at Google AdWords or email or you know, YouTube. That's becoming a non-conversation. I think I, I struggle to think that people don't realize that digital is a real serious form of marketing. What, what is happening though is as people have gone through that transition, the land of navigating digital marketing is incredibly vast and ridiculously up and down. You can waste an ungodly amount of money doing digital marketing and get nothing in return, or you could spend a stunningly low amount of dollars and get very high upside. And it just comes down to the tactics and just understanding it. And I want to, I want to spend some time on that. The other thing that I want to spend time on is, is today, is today 16th? Tuesday? Yeah. So, Today was supposed to be the day my new book came out. If you guys can flash my screen one more time. So today was supposed to be the day that my new book came out, uh, 12 and a half, um, leveraging the emotional ingredients for business success. I did a NFT promotion in August that if you bought 12 copies, I would airdrop you an NFT and sold 1.2 million copies, which for context makes it the most successful book of all time. Um, or at least one of the top 10. And, um, and so they had to push it by two weeks. Um, and it'll be coming out in two weeks, but it's just really fun timing that today was supposed to be the day, uh, because it's really the other thing I desperately want to talk to you about, which is my, my navigating not only my own career, but I was an early investor in Facebook and Twitter and Uber and Coinbase. Uh, you know, I run an agency that's a, you know, 1800 person global company that works with a ton of businesses and something has really become very clear to me again in this older state which is in business we don't really talk about kindness or empathy or compassion or accountability or we don't talk about soft skills as a core we talk about it as like a side dish as a nice to have and I think if you're very thoughtful about what's going on. This is what I love about him. I don't mean it's real. coddling and entitlement and that stuff. I mean people having options as employees, you know, creating continuity and actually building something very big instead of kind of okay or solid. I think we need to start having an advanced, dramatically different conversation on what team building and leadership actually is. And again, I don't come from a foofy place, the way I call it, the way this book was built was how I built my company. Internally, we call VaynerMedia the honey empire, right? Honey over vinegar. But the word empire is not a soft word. We're trying to build the biggest company of all time. 
And I think to do that, you need continuity based on optimism and growth, not based on fear. You know, and so uh, those are two things I really want to double click on. Let's start with the marketing thing because it's incredibly practical for this room. How many people by show of hands, because I'm going to navigate because I have a field in the mix. How many people by show of hands, please raise them, are in the B2B business? Raise your hands, please. Hi, please. Thank you. And B2C? Great. So predominantly B2B, I'll jump on both. So B2B. How many people here are running LinkedIn ads for their B2B business? And I mean ads in the feed, not email, things of that nature. Raise your hands. Just curious. Great. Thank you. So let's talk about LinkedIn ads. Ads. This, this room is majority B2B. I, I couldn't employ, if, if nothing from this talk, nothing from this talk, you remember except this one part, I hope this lands. Every company, hence person in this room, needs to be running three to four original pieces of creative as ads on LinkedIn a day. Three to four LinkedIn ads a day. All different videos, pictures, or words. All run as ads. Not videos, pictures, or words. Post and you organically just get whatever LinkedIn puts it into the ethos. I mean, you actually target employees of companies you see, this is what I learned. There's another side to it. I to get it. The business goal that you want. It's to direct to consumer marketing. In the last 18 months, the number one thing that I get emails about with the content that I put out around this, disproportionately, this has been the thing that I've been most emailed about as a substantial game changer for B2B companies. A couple things that are important about this. Number one. As we go through this conversation, or if we get into Q&A and go deeper, and you sit there and say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to follow. I'm going to do it, actually. First and foremost, you cannot hire your 23-year-old niece to do it. Agree. You can't hire a small agency, one person that you find. You, the human in this room, must, if you want the success from it, but you don't need to do anything, like just to really create the context, but if you would like your business to grow through an arbitrage that is incredibly obvious that will close, LinkedIn ads are not as good right now as they were 24 months ago when I started this conversation. Because more people have come in, and I'm sure everybody here is going to understand the simple concept of supply and demand. It's the same rodeo since MySpace. Thing happens, MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, LinkedIn. You, it's all the same game. Thing gets established, people come on board. The early movers, no different than real estate development, just with content, make content, they extract the biggest audiences. The big companies that I work with, the Pepsis, the Budweiser's, the Fords, they wait. They gotta get their laws down, they gotta figure it out, they're scared of it, they wait. Eventually, three years in, they get comfortable, they start throwing money at it, it starts working, they start throwing real money at it, all of a sudden, SMBs, mid-market companies like ourselves don't get as much real estate for free organically or the ads cost too much against what we used to spend for it. It's the same show every single time. The number one advertiser on television in the first 10 years of television was Procter & Gamble. That's why it's the biggest consumer brands company in the world. The number one advertiser on Google AdWords from 2001 to 2005 was Amazon. It's why it's who it is. When there is an arbitrage of attention, the world changes. The only thing that connects every one of our businesses here 
is the attempt to get attention, to tell somebody what we want or what we have, and then hope the thing happens. How the world works. Hmm. All the things that are happening geopolitically, TikTok. And that's why TikTok the world, is the one. Three years. Got to do it now. The reason, back to being a Soviet boy, the reason when there's a coup in a country that at the same time they go after the palace, they go to the newspaper and radio and television station, is because communication and the ability to talk to somebody and get their attention and make the thing that you want to happen is literally the only thing that matters. And so the thought that so many people in this room don't think about that as the first thing you do, even in parallel with the quality of your product. Though I did have a meeting last week where I was very, 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 very underwhelmed with the product, and the person was very aggressive that they needed my agency to be hired, probably because he subconsciously knew how bad the product was, and it finally pushed me into the corner and I said, sir, with all due respect, I just want you to know one thing. We are the best marketing company in the world, which means the only thing that's about to happen is we're going to speed up the world knowing that your product's a piece of crap. <laughs> so I'm like, I think we should fix it first and then we'll market. So, look, when I say it's the only thing that matters, of course the quality of your product. Of course, when I look around this room, there's a ton of you that have substantial long-term relationships and reputation in a B2B environment that is absolutely driving your core business. My question is why people like to leave upside on the table. When I get into these combos one-on-one or in stage, you know, they're like, Gary, I'm good. I don't need LinkedIn. I'm like the king of Dayton, Ohio. I'm like, that's nice, Carl. I'm like, how much do you, business do you do? Seven million. I'm like, what's wrong with 16? To me, marketing is a conversation of ambition. I understand that people don't want to learn this. I understand that you don't want to spend 11 hours running ads on LinkedIn, tasting it, watching a bunch of videos, reading a bunch of stuff, so that you can then hire the person internally and know how to judge if they're good at it. The biggest reason most companies don't continue to do social media is because they hired somebody that sucks at it and they don't know how to judge it. And then they decide it doesn't work. You know what else doesn't work? A basketball. A basketball does not work for me. The ROI of a basketball for me has been about negative $10,000 because I've torn both my meniscuses. The ROI of a basketball for LeBron James is a billion dollars. Social marketing works at scale to trillions of dollars. We just might have not figured out how to make it work for ourselves. So for me, for this room, there are two core things that really stand out. One is LinkedIn, and you need to go pot committed because again, what I've seen with the way ads are being spent and the way the organic reach is going down. How many people here use LinkedIn and know what I'm talking about, how it went from just a recruiting tool to now there's information content in there? Just raise your hand, I'm just curious. So you have a sense. Yep. If you even sit for a second, think about if you've even transacted or been affected by a piece of content in LinkedIn, just reverse engineer yourself. It's there at scale for this room. The other thing that I think a lot of people need to debate and this is for the more ambitious and hungry, the, the more on the offense, the concept of becoming the media platform instead of just an advertiser. Meaning, actually starting a podcast or YouTube show around the expertise of the business that you're in. Now this gets really 
foofy for a lot of people, but it is absolutely, in my opinion, the place that creates the most guaranteed stability and growth of a business. The idea of becoming the publisher, not the marketer, right? There's publisher. several people in the background. Not the marketer. Here's the framework I live in. I think most people in this room, and when I say this room, I mean America, and I mean the 8 billion people on earth, and whatever percentage of those people are in business, most people are in sales. They're sales. They're sales organizations. I'm sure, if we're being honest, I can just see what you see by some of the light head nods. We are sales organizations, and that's great. I love sales. When I was five years old, sales was my first business. I walked around Edison, New Jersey. I went into people's yards, ripped their flowers out of the yard, ringed their doorbell, and tried to sell them back the flowers. I love sales. That's me at five. I love sales. There's remarkable sales. It's called marketing. It's super hard, because spending money on something that's just branding doesn't feel natural to an SMB mid-market company, and even big companies don't love it, even though they allocate for it, because Wall Street makes them. Branding, super important marketing. It's the whole actual game. It's the thing that I want you to get advanced at and LinkedIn will completely change your business, for real. 20, 40, 80% growth, it will, it can, it does, if you get good at it. The problem is most people, a lot of hands went up. I feel like if this was a class where we went through all the ads, without even knowing, and a lot of hands went up, just because I know 98% of what I see on LinkedIn is this, so I'm making the assumption that the math scales in this room, the marketing is actually just sales videos or a sales flyer. Most people wanna to go to marketing or really just doing sales. None of you wanna see that. Nobody wants an infomercial in their news feed. It's not value add, period. But marketing is the second framework, much stronger than sales in the medium and long term, harder to judge for people in the short term, which is why almost nobody does it. Definitely not in the size of companies that are in this room, for real. Who I love LinkedIn so much. When I forced my dad to do it and buy newspaper ads or radio or direct mail, it was expensive. You can do LinkedIn for 6,000 bucks and get a real taste, not make a $30,000 commitment to a full page ad in the newspaper. So, marketing. The third thing that I'm talking to you about right now is the concept of becoming the media company. Part three. What I've done with my career. Publisher. The shows, the content, the blogs. I don't make content. I just live my life, we film it, and then we produce marketing for it. And so the concept of you actually, I'll give you a great example. One more time, I don't, please, please me, please, B2B company, raise your hand. This is, um, this is my like number one. Starting a podcast in your very narrow niche, even maybe your town. Like, you could talk about concrete in a state or a town. Now, mm -hmm. We're not trying to be the Letterman show here. You're not trying to win an Emmy. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get I the got the best podcast in the world, baby. a podcast where you interview the potential buyers that you're trying to get business from. So this has been a monster hit for a lot of people that have taken me up on this. You start a show that's a podcast where you talk about things in general, but the people that you email on LinkedIn or on email to be guests are the people that you actually want to buy your product. This is really interesting human psychology. The people you're emailing or calling or trying to play golf with or have fake dinner with or hitting up on LinkedIn to do business with, 
are often not interested in what you're trying to do and won't respond or say no. That same person, when you're saying, you know, so you're trying to hit up Barry. Barry, wanna go golfing? Barry, let me meet you, introduce you to my guy. Barry, can we get together? Barry's not interested, Barry has his supplier. When you email Barry and say, Barry, would you come on and talk about your amazing career of the last 30 years on my podcast? Barry's moonwalking to your office. This last tactic, because I've thrown this out in my content, different interviews and such, has been a major win for some small B2B, mid-sized B2B companies. And I would highly, highly recommend the people in this room that have a little gift of gab, feel like they can do this, to really push themselves. I'm aware, very aware, I'm a very introverted dad. You know, like, well actually he's not. He's come out of a shell, but my mom's introverted um, in a lot of ways. I know that that, Last thing isn't for everybody. I know that you don't want to put yourself on camera, feels uncomfortable, doesn't come natural. But please, if you happen to be one of the several dozens of people in here that the thought of what I just said is intriguing, please push yourself. It really works. The, the world is changing. I don't have to tell a single person here. What I'm trying to get everybody to understand is take your real life and put it into your business life. Here's what I mean by that. Remember, Remember how many of you promised me that you would never get an iPhone because your Blackberry was so awesome and you needed to feel the buttons? Just curious, how many people here have a Blackberry right now? Remember when you promised you would never get a Facebook account in 2012, 11, 10? We, we promised, even for some of the old school, and there's some old school cats in here, I see you. My favorite one was when the cell phone started getting traction in the late 90s. All of my, I've got a beeper, I don't need a cell phone people in this room. This is what we do. Even people that are progressive. I spent the last three years trying to convince people that made real money and changed their life on Instagram to get TikTok accounts. They're 26 and they said no. Humans say no. Many of you, when you heard about Bitcoin, no. Many of you, when you're hearing about NFTs right now, no. It's just all no. It's exhausting, and it makes no sense if you're a business person. No is poison in business. Quick question, how many people here are retiring in the next 10 years? And before you raise your hand, I don't mean Already you're retired. a huge year next year and buy an island. I mean you're old and you're finished. Raise your hands. Raise it high. Mm. All right, four. And you're definitely not in that crowd. You just wanted to raise your hand. Four. My friends, almost everything that dominates our society right now, Netflix, most of the social networks, none of them existed 10 years ago. What I'm really trying to tell you in this talk, and, and by the way, we're starting to get that place, so if you have any question of every, anywhere I'm going or anything you know about me that you want to ask a question, please line up now. If you want to get into the Q&A, please do that uh, while I'm wrapping up here. Um, my friends, I'm trying to prepare you for what's coming. You guys hear about NFTs and people selling for $69 million and you're like scam, PDVs, this and that. The blockchain is here. Every contract in the world in 15 years is gonna be on the blockchain. It's how you're gonna do business. So what, are you gonna do the same thing you did with the internet and just fight it until you succumb to it and left all that opportunity on the table? 
Like how do we not see the patterns? It was one thing when the internet came and we didn't have that and so the world was one way and so I was very empathetic in 96, 97, 98, 99. Do you understand in 1996, 90% of my conversations was trying to convince somebody somebody would buy anything on the internet? 50% of my conversations were trying to convince people that the internet wasn't a fad. Do you remember, some of you, if you paid attention to this, when the stock market crashed in 2000 with internet stocks and every article was, see, the internet's a fad? People don't like change. They don't like it. We don't like it. The problem is, you can do anything you want in your personal life. I like when people are like, Gary, I just don't get Facebook. I go, that's nice, Stan. <laughs> I, I understand that you don't get it. How about the fact that five trillion people do? Like I love when people make decisions that are ideological on their human level and then deploy them in their business life. You don't like money? You don't want your family to be more stable? Hmm. You don't want your business to grow? You don't want somebody to come along and use this stuff and put you out of business? All of those things I have a funny feeling you are interested in. You may not want to dance on TikTok, but I'm not asking you to dance. I'm asking you to pay attention to what's actually happening here. And we're just starting. Technology doesn't care about your feelings or how hard you worked to build your little moat locally on reputation. It just comes along and destroys. I spoke at a conference, ironically, in Orlando seven years ago. I was an early investor in Uber and ironically got booked, they didn't know, for the limo and taxi conference convention center to speak. But it was early Uber, it hadn't really done its thing yet. And I stood there and I said, my friends, I don't know if you know about this, and it started, it was happening in San Francisco, it just opened in New York, it was early. And I was like, my friends, I don't know if you're paying attention, but there's this thing called Uber, you know, like I really think you might want to, like I think it's gonna be pretty disruptive, I compared it to Amazon and bookstores. This room laughed me off the stage. First guy on the mic goes, Gary, do you know what politics is? I'm like, I sure do. He goes, we've got the, <laughs> audacious, we've got these local authorities by the balls, we have our medallions, we contribute. I'm like, that's nice. I'm like, do you know what venture capital is? I'm like, Uber's gonna raise a billion dollars in cash and I have a funny feeling that's more than you had, John. <laughs> and I don't have to explain to all of you what happened there. No matter what you think your moat is and why not, I promise you there's one incredibly important thing that I want to leave with, and then please, please line up because I want questions, otherwise I'm gonna have D-Rock run around with the mic. Your business has a target on it. Every entrepreneur is looking at every localized business and trying to think about scale. And they're going to use modern marketing to create a moat, just like Zillow did, just like Amazon did, just like I did with Resi, the restaurant app, and OpenTable. It's all gonna be the same game. The internet is where the real world is. We spend, everyone's like the metaverse and the VR and all this crazy stuff. Hmm. We're living there now. Do you know how many hours are spent looking at this? Do you understand? We live there now. This has happened, whether you like it or not. You decided to be an entrepreneur and a business owner or a senior executive, you decided. So that means you have to play on the field. In sports, it's obvious. When the greats, I will never forget, even though I hated them because I'm a Knicks fan, but Paul Pierce said something in some interview, and I loved it. He said something like, they asked him when he knew it was over, right? When he had to retire. And he said something like, 
It was interesting. It was just one random game and this scrub got by me and I realized this guy would have never gotten by me ever, ever, ever before and I can't believe he dominated me like that and I knew it was over. And it stuck with me. In sports, it's obvious. In business, it's not. It's like whatever that gas is that is coming out of your car and then you just die in the garage because you didn't know. That thing. That's business. It's happening to you right now but you just don't realize it. And that's because the technology lever, especially now, with what's going on with the blockchain, you have a blockchain and internet happening at the same time. Hmm. And what makes me sad is you can harness it or you can put your head in the sand. It's just a very binary game. And I just don't know why you wouldn't. And so that's that. I didn't really get to the culture part as much as I want to, but I'm going to sneak a little bit of it in. All of that is fine and dandy. If you land three awesome people to run your LinkedIn or one, it's all fine and dandy. If you don't know how to manage in 2021, you're going to lose. The options are ridiculous. Every 17-year-old that I know, and I know a trillion of them, I have 10 million followers on TikTok, every one of them have no interest in going to college or working for anyone because they can make $100,000 a year on TikTok. This isn't about these Gen Zers and millennials being spoiled. This is called options. They're not lazy. They just don't want to work for you. Hmm. Like, it's very important. This is probably more important than what I spent the most of my time on. If you don't realize that kindness and empathy and compassion and all those things your grandma tried to teach you are actually becoming the core things you're going to need in your business to succeed, I love this new thing going on, the great resignation, right? And everyone's blaming the government, rightfully so. Like, if you pay people to stay home, they're gonna stay home. Like, we understand that game. But let there be no confusion. There's a much more dangerous thing going on in there, because that check is gonna stop. What's underneath there is options, right? And I see a lot of head shaking, and I'll tell you why. Many of you have been baffled by your kid or your kid's friend making real money on TikTok and they're 14, and you're like, what the hell is going on? This is happening. And so look, when I talk like this, I always laugh because I can always hear my dad or other people's voices in the crowd. Like, I'm very empathetic to somebody sitting, listening to me right now and saying, you know what? I'm retired. I get it. Because it's changing so fast in hearts. Like, ugh. Do I, you know, I've gone hard for 50 years. Do I really want a 30 year? Do I really? That's on you. But it doesn't mean it's not happening. And that's the point of this talk today, which is a lot's happening. And I'd love to get into details, so I'll leave a lot more for Q&A. But thank you for having me. Thank you. Powerful. Let's pause it right there. And let's um, get back to the, the mentorship series, man. Seriously, I don't even know where to pick up. It's just... I agree 100%. I fully understand. And, um, you know, I wish I had a better way to to just explain it. Like, I mean, this guy's just, he's breaking it down, man. Give me one quick second. Let me, oh, no, I hit the wrong thing here. Hold up. 
Oh man. Sorry about that. Mm. Let me see. I apologize. I normally have a thing on my couch, but you guys know when I move, it's going to uh, it's going to make that that sound there. Um. Where the heck did I put this thing? Give me one second. I'm looking for something. There it is. Load this back up. So, very quickly, let's um, let's continue with the psychology series, okay? See how we're doing here on sound. Oh, there it goes. All right, well, we got some relaxed stress relief meditation sleep music. And um, I'm almost finished with these delicious almonds. I love them. <laughs> One quick second. What I like best about my, my radio show and my podcast is this is what my fans never got to see. And I understand that my new listeners, my new fans, they speak a different language. I think some of the people that grew up listening to my music, in a sense, have moved on. And I'm happy to say that, you know, I'm happy with the time that I I spent with those, you know, day one fans. But this new generation is going to have something even better that's everlasting. This new generation... If they connect with you, they want to continue to grow to your music. And for the people, for the fans that waited and were always able to rely on the music, I'm happy that I can connect in this new internet world. For the new fans, it's like, I appreciate so much that you guys appreciate my music, you know? It's an amazing thing. Give me one second. I'm going to drink some water so we could get into the psychology series. Also, as you can see, I've been working on different formats for the show um, to kind of see what works, you know? Like, now my goal is laid out for me. Like, man, listen... I think I'll hit my goal for my podcast by the beginning of next year. That's my goal. Over 500. Oh. Clear my my teeth one second. Oh, man. 
All right, so what can I, what can I say? Where can I start? I guess I have to explain how I am processing this new information. I like when Gary V said that the marketer is just doing sales. You know, but we sometimes focus so much on on the selling part. Like, okay, we're just gonna sell this is the product, this is the service. But the marketing is the is the outreach magnifier, right? It's the false multiplier. Obviously, you have to have a good product or service. But I like the third concept of you being your own publisher. This is why the entertainment industry is so one-sided. It's like you get to be the movie production studio. Terminator 2, Judgment Day, one of my favorite movies. And I think the biggest family movie that I could think about in my lifetime. There was, I mean, Star Wars, I was still a little bit young when Star Wars came out. And I love Star Wars to this day, even more than the Terminator franchise. But imagine if you were a creator and you could write, edit, produce, film, act in the movie and be the studio that actually releases it. Think about getting compensated for that. What if Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, and James Cameron did it independently? I'm sure they made billions of dollars, you know, directly and indirectly. But just imagine that they had captured a percentage of that market share just with that one movie by themselves. I'm sure, you know, Arnold will get a royalty for the rest of his life. But imagine if he was getting a publishing check every time that the writer is credited, that they show the movie, that they sell a DVD or download it or stream it. Just think about it. Knowing that he has that in a vault, in a safe somewhere in, in his corporate address. You know what I mean? Ownership. It goes back to the Michael Jackson and the Prince thing of like doing your own thing and owning what you create. You know, it puts a different dynamic when you are writing content, whether it's a movie, music, video game, a poem, a book, a magazine, whatever it is, this is the new norm. This is the new way to do business. And um, just like in LinkedIn, now with TikTok, just like with uh, Facebook, just like with Instagram, I see the recurring theme of how they included marketing inside and you can literally target your audience, whether it's in writing, video, or with pictures. So I already, on Instagram, I know how to upload an image and put a link to my music on my podcast. I always wondered, could I do it together? 
right? When you have a video, you pretty much control the content. You control the narrative. So that same video or short video can basically be something that you upload for like TikTok. And now it works hand in hand because TikTok in a sense would still kind of be organic and it has huge impact organically. But then I also think to myself, what would the rate of return be if I did marketing and promotion through TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, LinkedIn, Discord, Medium. Um, I mean, these are just the ones that I'm using. So even the app Beagle, right? I like Beagle, even though you could kind of tell it feels like a casino <laughs> when you log on to the app, but it gives you one very powerful and basic tool. I can go live. I could DJ music. I could just talk to my fans. Um, while I'm recording the podcast, I can basically stream it live and you could gain a following either way. Like, um, if I'm on BandLab and I'm working on something that's music related, BandLab doesn't have the option to go live. So what happens is I don't need to wait for BandLab to implement that feature. I have it from another third-party app, and I'm sure that they have a marketing uh, campaign. Also, like the content on Beagle is really... I like it. I like the sense of freedom, but it's not really positive. You know, if you, if you go on the app, you'll understand what I'm saying. But um, I like the fact that I can connect that one app to every other app and they all work together. So I do like that. But um, as I'm getting deeper into the actual, you know, what it is to, to do digital marketing, um. I completely understand the potential now. I looked at some of the strategies that like Instagram um, offers, and now I'm going to compare that feature in every other platform. And um, I cannot wait to be able to like play my games online and, and, and stream it on, on Twitch. You know, it's like having my own little channel. So all of these things work together. For me, that is like amazing. For me, that is like, what's better than that? There's nothing better than that. Not in my personal opinion. All the content is put together the same in a different way in every single lap. Now, when I look at a social media platform, I'm looking for the same features, I'm looking for the same layout, and because each one is different, 
depending on how much time you spend on it, you could kind of tell what the differences are. So it makes sense, you know, a lot of it, like I would see, you know, an artist with like a ridiculous amount of views and streams. And, you know, I know a very big portion of that is organic, but there's an even greater portion that is direct to consumer. And I even see how my, you know, one of the people that is in social media that I kind of admire, I see how they don't understand the concept of marketing and promotion. So that's one of those things, man. That's one of those things that I never thought that could be, I guess, a possibility, you know? I never put myself into that spectrum. But now it makes sense. I finally understand. And then, you know, I think about it at scale. Like imagine, you know, God gives me the blessing, right? By the grace of God, my business is doing phenomenal, right? Phenomenal. Imagine how much I can reinvest into my business and really go like all out, you know, and basically scale the business more in the digital world than ever thought possible, you know. So now, it makes me think more about my career. Like, I'm in full control now. I've studied the record labels. I've studied the industry, the business side of the industry. Um, of course, every artist that I could have learned something from, I made it a point to learn from them. You know, and I get to put it all together in my own um I get to like have my own approach, you know, I get to control all of these things that you know because I I, I came into the music industry so young, I just didn't, I didn't understand, you know, the marvel behind the industry, this illusion that things were a certain way when in reality, they've never been that way, you know, like, They've never been that way. It was all, you know, very, very smart marketing. That's all it was. And and I get how it was more effective during my youth. 
for the simple fact that that's why it was so captivating. There's less uh, prejudice, I guess, with the subconscious mind. You know, when you're young, you know, your focus is different. I have a, a childhood friend that is a writer and I had written a movie script and they were helping me with the treatment. Um, this person wanted to present it to like a movie studio. I've always, you know, wanted to present it to him, like let's us invest into the project, right? And um, when I think about it now that I'm older, you know, I thought more about his Ferrari, his girlfriend, you know, his status in the community. He was, you know, very well respected because he was super, super successful. And looking back now, that's not even the important thing. A similar thing happens in the music industry, you know. You see the jewelry, the designer clothes, the fancy atmospheres, you know, like the fine restaurants and the big business meetings and all these people are so beautiful and glamorous. But underneath all of that is a business. Underneath all of that is those contracts that bind new talent. The industry looks so illustrious, you know, it makes you want to become a part of that industry. But if you can't see through the bullshit, if you if you if you don't understand what is really happening around you, then you can fall victim to their system and their control. So looking back now as a businessman, I see how that's how they keep the business going. It's, it's during these industry networking galas and award shows and all these people are just mingling together, looking for ways to maintain and sustain their careers, their companies, their investments. They are protecting the bottom dollar and that's what's important to them. So I always had the entrepreneur mindset of I'm coming in as the new masterpiece. I'm coming in as a businessman. I'm going to own my music. I'm going to own everything that I do by comparison. And I was having this conversation with my wife earlier. The same thing happened with my family. The allure of me growing up without much, you know, under hard circumstances, I always had the need to have a family. And in a sense, my family had this control over my life and even over my career, like well into adulthood. And I'm happy that I grew enough as a person to identify that and make the correct changes. I really appreciate what happened to me in my music career. Because looking back now, God saved my life. 
thank God I never committed myself to a huge corporation that never cared about me. And thank God that all those people that should have been far away from my life, God, through his own unique way, gave me my independence and my freedom by removing those people from my life. Either one thing led to another, they revealed who they really were, where their hearts really were, and that was enough for me to continue on my journey. So I leave you guys with that. Once again, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the VR1 NFT podcast. I'm your host, VR1. And for today, may you conquer everything that's in your path. May everything that you touch turn into solid gold. You know, always remember that you are special and unique and one of a kind. Never forget to always dream big because dreams come true. It happened to me, and I know for a fact it's going to happen to you. Tune right back in. We're going to pick up with the psychology series, the mentorship series. Remember, guys, we have this goal for this digital marketing class that we're going to take together. So see you guys on the next one.